thank you they are here with us Lord I thank you that this day Lord those years ago you poured yourself out by your spirit to bless the world Lord you poured your spirit out on that day of Pentecost Lord I want to thank you that by your spirit you are here and I thank you by your spirit you are moving Lord, I thank you that you're still touching and still blessing and you're still saving lives today, Lord, because you are good. You are good, Lord Jesus. I thank you for Friday, everything you did. Lord, I thank you for that testimony. Lord, you are a healer. I thank you that you are a healing, a merciful God. Lord, we praise you here. We declare you, Lord Jesus, as King, King of Kings, and you, you are our Lord over every Lord. Lord, we bless you here. Amen. 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 You may be seated. I can see a few new faces. So welcome, welcome to you. And today is the day of Pentecost, and I'm gonna speak about, to begin with, that day, but I want us to, uh, to turn initially to Ephesians chapter 4. And Lord, as I minister your word, uh, Lord, without your anointing, Holy Spirit, there is no power, without your unction, Lord, there is no healing, there is no touching of the Spirit. So even now I ask that you would speak to me, Spirit to Spirit, and Lord, you would minister from heaven through the power of your Word to every life here. Lord, we want to leave today, Lord, with something, Lord, that you've imparted, something that, that you've transformed in us by the work of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Pour out your grace, Lord, pour out your grace. I'm going to initially just read from verse 1 to 6, and uh, the testimony that Grace shared this morning, we praise God for that salvation testimony, but we also praise God for that, I believe, the testimony of Grace. It's really a, a declaration. It's going to lay a foundation for today, so... Reading from verse 1, and, and he starts, this is Paul speaking, he starts with the word therefore, and he's, he's referring to previous, it's almost like a prayer leading up to that in um, chapter 3. He says, for this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he goes on and he basically, in a sense, is praying, he's on his knees, he's praying for spiritual growth, that he comes here and he says, I therefore... The prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. And... Uh, I'm going to speak 
on that a bit later, but initially today is the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was the day referred to in the book of Acts, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2. It was the birth of the church, and it began with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Prior to that, the, the disciples had been living with Jesus. Jesus had been with them in the physical, but he, was only, he could do only so much in the physical. He could do one thing at one time. And he was promising the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And, he, and he, Jesus would re- often refer to this through the Scriptures, and he would say, when I go... It's better for me that I go, that I go to heaven, because then the Holy Spirit can be poured out. Then, you know, you can be just as effective as I am all across the world. And so there was these remarks made through the Scriptures that Jesus was going to do that. He was going to, once he got to heaven, that would be in a place where he's then glorified, and then the Holy Spirit would be released, because he said, it's better that I go that we would receive the Holy Spirit. And Jesus then died, he was buried, he rose again, and then he comes to the disciples, and in John chapter 20, verse 22, it says that he breathed on them. He said, when he had said this, Jesus said, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. In verse 21, and when he has said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So in that moment, the disciples were born again. They received the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on them, his Holy Spirit. They were born again, but they hadn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out. So Jesus has done this. They've received, they've been born again. And then he says, wait, there's more. There's more to come. He said, wait in Jerusalem, which they do. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, where they were all waiting in the upper room. And the result of them waiting, as Jesus told them to and commanded them to, was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were all in one accord, and the Holy Spirit came out, was poured out, over all of them, that was a promise, and they all began to speak in other languages with tongues, and the result was power. See, they were born again, they had new life, but they didn't have power. So the the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts was for power, it was for empowerment. It was empowerment to witness, it was power to reign victoriously over sin, because this is God's power, and there was power in prayer. And that's not exhaustive, but they're the, they're the main reasons that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so that was absolutely necessary for the disciples then, as it is for us today, to be filled or baptized, same language, with the Holy Spirit. It comes as a second, something after you're born again, just as it happened to the disciples. Now, some people receive that all at once, some people don't. Now, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit was all about power. But there's another element that the Holy Spirit does and accomplishes in the body today, and that's unity. 
It's without the Holy Spirit, there is no unity. And it's so important for us to understand that, yes, the power of God by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in us, as important as that is, and we had to seek that, just as important is that is the unity. That's something that the Holy Spirit does. Because true unity, true unity is when we're all filled with the Holy Spirit, we're all baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we're all led by the Spirit. That's what true unity looks like. Because as a body, we are one. We are one, and it's because of the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, it says, For as the body is one and has many members. So this is Paul saying, you and I have one, we've got a body, but it's got many members, toes, ears, legs, many members. But all the members of that one body, being many, are one. So they make up one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, in verse 13, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So as a human body, you and I have many parts, that many parts make up the whole body. And so Paul's saying, you and I, as individuals, we also make up the body of Christ. And we are all baptized in the Holy Spirit. That brings a, a oneness. It's the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that joins us and makes us one, brings us together by that one spirit. It's almost like uh, an umbilical cord that connects us all together. It's the same life source where we are all together as one. And it's, it's not uniformity. Uniformity is something like in a, an army, you know, they have marches and they're all in perfect line and they do all the same actions. But, you know, that's, that's uniformity where their, their hearts are all thinking different things. So for us to be led by the Spirit in, in, as one is we're all doing and we're all being led to do and think and move in the same manner. That's because we're being led by the Holy Spirit. And the, uh, the Holy Spirit creates unity. So He, he is the basis of unity in the church. And if we're, not, if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, then we can't be led by the Holy Spirit. He can't unite us. So un unity starts within us and it works outward. Again, that's a work of the Holy Spirit in us. It works inwards, begins inward rather, then it works outwards. Now, why is that important? Psalm 133, this is a psalm of David. He says in verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant. So be, even before I begin, he says behold. So in other words, take notice. He says, How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. In, in other words, harmony. He says, It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So that's what unity is, according to David. He said it's as precious as the anointing oil. The anointing oil they used in the Old Testament, that was expensive, but anointing always also is symbolic for the Holy Spirit. And that's how precious unity is. And that's why it's so important 
that we remain united as one. Now, I'm going to speak a little bit more how that happens a bit later, but not only is it precious as the anointing always says, it's as refreshing. It said it's like the dew of Hermon, which it's, in other words, just as refreshing and just as pleasant unity is as the dew on Mount Hermon. The blessing there is life forevermore. That's for life forever. And, you know, if we can't get along now together, it, you know, we're gonna, we've got to spend eternity together. In Acts 2.1, when the pouring out of the Holy Spirit took place, it said, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So I want to ask you, we, we are all in one place, but I want to ask, are we in one accord? Are we all in unity? Are we all one of the same? Are we all in the same mind? Because there's a number of things that are going to destroy unity. And, it's, and unity, like I said in Psalm 133, how, how precious unity is, how precious it is to the Holy Spirit. Because when there is disunity, the Holy Spirit, there's, there is a cut. And so we so need the Holy Spirit in the church. We are a Pentecostal church, which means we value and we seek for the presence of God, the, ma the manifest presence of God. Yes, God is omnipresent. Yes, He's everywhere. But there's a, a manifest presence where God dwells with His people. It comes down. That's when things happen. That's where life happens, where the Spirit of God is poured out. And like I said, there are a number of things that destroy unity. That's, that's unity in the body, corporately, because remember, we're one. But also destroys unity in relationships, one-to-one. -one. And the first one, and this is something that really disrupts unity, it's lying. You may be surprised at that. You might have thought I was going to say something else. But in the, uh, the book of Acts, in chapter 5, see, lying, lying really grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves Him. It, it makes Him sorrowful. The Holy Spirit is a person. It grieves, grieves the Holy Spirit, but also disrupts unity because it destroys trust between one another. And in Acts chapter 5, this was just after... The Spirit's been poured out and God is beginning to save thousands and the church is growing rapidly and people are selling things uh, to, to give to the apostles to use as resources to, to spread the message of Jesus Christ, to spread the gospel. And there's a couple that come, um, they're a married couple, their names are Ananias and Sapphira and they sold a possession at goes on to say it's a, it's a block of land and they come and they they give the proceeds to Peter and Peter said Ananias after this um, this money has been given to Peter he says Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself while it remained was it not your own after it was sold was it not in your own control why have you conceived this thing in your heart you have not lied to men, but to God. So lying, it not only grieved the Spirit, it's not only against man, but it's also against God. This man, Ananias, he 
he was struck down. He was, he was killed on the spot. In verse 5 of chapter 5 of Acts, it says, Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So the result of him lying was him struck down. Now that doesn't mean God's going to strike down every liar, but this is what you call an exemplary judgment. This is God showing us the seriousness of this, of lying, the seriousness of it. It's, it's a judgment. And people say, well, they weren't really Christians. But they, this was just, they weren't Christians, but they were Christians because you can't lie to God, you can't lie to the Holy Spirit unless you're His, unless you've been born again and saved. So they were Christians and it's, it was so serious that not only did he die, Ananias, but his wife later came in and she said, Peter asked her, have you sold it for so much? And, and um, she said, yes. And Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed to test together to test the Spirit of the Lord. And again, she died. So it's very, very serious, the words that we speak, that we're actually truthful. We all know what lying is. I don't have to explain that. But what are we to do? What are we to do in that instance? See, Ephesians 4, verse 25 it says, therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And he says in verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So, like I said, to, to lie... It, this is in the context of the way we use our words. And it begins with lying. And it grieves the Holy Spirit. It brings sorrow and distress because He's a person. The, the Holy Spirit doesn't depart, but He withdraws. You may feel like there's a sense that you've just lost something. But it's the Holy Spirit that's been grieved because He is a person. And He says... Put away lying, for we are members of one another. So if, you, if you're someone who is a, is a liar, you tell lies, that's a liar. If, you, if that is you, maybe it's in the workplace, maybe it's in, just in your family, maybe it's on your taxes. You're actually not only affecting the spirit, but you're actually affecting us because we are one body. But Paul's saying, put away, put it away. By the power of the Holy Spirit, ask Him to cleanse you. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, is to, is to make us holy from the inside out. Put it away. It says, speak truth with your neighbor. So, to put that away, speak truth with our neighbor. So, lying's the first thing that is going to grieve the Spirit. That's the first thing that's going to affect unity in the church. It's going to affect us one to another, but it's going to affect the unity in the church because it's going to grieve the Holy Spirit. It's going to grieve the presence of God. There's going to be a cut there. And how we so need the presence of God in the church. Like I said, we're a Pentecostal church. That's what we, that's what we want. We want the manifest presence because without that, we're just doing church and we're just doing religion. 
And so it's very serious, the words that we use, that they are in truth. But the second one, the second thing that destroys unity, it's offense. Being offended, that means being hurt. And I want to tell you, church, that being offended with someone, it's, it's absolutely deadly. It's absolutely deadly. It will destroy a church and it absolutely destroys relationships. Now, that can be on offended against a person. It can be on behalf of another, particularly if you're a married couple, you can be offended on behalf of the other one. You know, the, one, one's, the wife's received injustice and the husband now is offended as well because of that action. So you can be offended on behalf of someone else. You can also be offended on behalf of God. Maybe God hasn't given you something or he hasn't answered a prayer the, thing, the way that you thought he would. Or maybe you're waiting for something and, and God hasn't come through and you're beginning to get frustrated and impatient and you begin to just have a little bit of something before God where you're starting to get a little bit offended like you've been unnoticed. Now, it can also be where, for instance, you can take offense when someone says something to you. You could take offense to that. There's a, there's a pain. Or, or not say something, as the case may be. You can easily just be offended just as easily. Or someone does something to you or not does something that you thought they should have done. That can easily bring an offense just as much as not doing something. But this is so seriously, like I said, it's deadly. It destroys the church, destroys relationships, but it also defiles. It brings, it brings a defilement in. And we want to so keep unity in the church because we are one. We want to keep the presence of God. We want to be pleasing to God because we are one. We are a living organism as one. We're not, yes, we're individuals, but we make up the whole as a body. In Hebrews 12, it says in verse 14, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And many, and by this, many become defiled. So the offense can turn into a root of bitterness. And this is, this is a message that needs to be addressed regularly because it's very easy for us, if we're not walking in love, to be easily offended just by not simply someone saying hello the way you thought they should have. Some of you, and I know I'm speaking to a few, this, this wouldn't, I know I'm not speaking to anybody here, I'm speaking to at least some of you, because this is something that comes up regularly, where, you know, as one preacher once said, you're holding IOUs. Maybe you're a husband, and you're all holding some IOUs for respect and honor from your wife that she hasn't given you you're holding them there then there's an offense or the wife she's got some ious towards her husband because he hasn't given her the love and the respect that she is due or the 
kids, the children, the, the grandparents don't pay any attention. Or they, they don't really care about your children. And so there's an offence come in because you think that, you know, they ought to have more of your time. They should be more interested. Offence comes in. There's IOUs of where, you know, love, IOU love, IOU respect, IOU time. All these IOUs, these are like offences that we hold and they're really dangerous if we don't get rid of them. Because what happens is, there is on that, it affects relationships in the Holy Spirit, but offence leads to bitterness, it leads to hatred, if it's not corrected. And this robs, absolutely destroys relationships and the church. And I want to tell you, when you hold offense, you're holding unforgiveness. And I want to tell you, there's two judgments that God brings down on unforgiveness. And they're found in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, there's a parable that Jesus speaks about. And he speaks to Peter about it. Because Peter comes in Matthew 18, verse 21, and says to him, that's Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So ongoing forgiveness. And then he goes on and he tells, Jesus tells a parable about this master. And the master represents God and how the servant owed the master money. And he begged him and the master released him for the debt that he owed. Then the servant went to his servant and grabbed him and throttled him and said, give me the money you owe me or else. And, and he didn't. So while, whilst the master released the servant of the debt he owed, which was vast, that's the picture of us that have been forgiven much, the servant then held that man accountable for the very little debt, which is like holding an offence. He held that little debt after he'd been forgiven so much, he held it against his servant. And the first judgment, you see it in verse 34. I'll read it out, actually. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So that's a lot. But as he was not able to pay it, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had. And that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, which is forgiveness, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is nothing. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt. That's like God forgiving us the debt of sin 
because you begged me, should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if you each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass, trespasses. So that's a very sobering warning for us. The first judgment of unforgiveness is in verse 34. He says, I was, he was angry. The master, that represents God, was angry. The second judgment, he was delivered to the tormentors. Who's the tormentors? They're the demons. So the unforgiveness opened a door. That was God's judgment for the tormentors, for the demons to come in. So it's, it's absolutely deadly. And when we don't forgive those who have offended us, we don't receive forgiveness ourselves. You know, we, we all know the Lord's Prayer. It's all about praying supplication unto God. Lord, do this, do this. But, the, but it finishes with this. In verse 14 of chapter 6 of Matthew, he says, you know, this is the one request that Jesus picks out for us. He says, you know, after the Lord's Prayer, he says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Just let that sink in. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So, what's, what's our response? You know, where someone has offended us, where we've been offended, what are we to do in light of that, in light of what the, the parable Jesus told Peter? In light of what Matthew, uh, what Jesus says after the Lord's Prayer, what's our response to be? It's forgive. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Forgive. See, the master released him and forgave him his debt. That talks about forgiveness. You might say, well, you don't know what I've received from this person. You don't know the way they've treated me. You've got no idea what they've done to me. Forgiveness is not about the other person. It's not condoning. It's not accepting it. It's releasing them for you. It's for your benefit. And it's not an emotion. It's an act of your will. Those IOUs that you're holding so tightly onto, it, they're only affecting you. They're not affecting the other person who you're holding unforgiveness towards because of offense. They've got to be ripped up and you've got to release them. You release them you release yourself and you come back under God's blessing. You're not doing it for your sake, for their sake, you're doing it for your sake. See, the Bible says, love keeps no records. No, no records, not 10 years ago they did this and five years ago I remember this day and they did this. Just, it's not worth it. It's not, it's, it is completely not worth it. After what Jesus has done for us, the debt that we owed, that we could, mind you, never pay, has dealt with, 
and we are holding someone else's debt against them, that's, that's not okay. God says, if you don't forgive, I don't forgive you. So I want to ask, are you holding? Is there someone you're holding? You know when you, you know if you are because you come into church maybe, or someone outside the church, and you see the person and the little wall goes, and you're sort of this way, and then that person got offended, and you're sort of, there's something in your gut that just turns, does a little turn, a little side. You know you've got something against them. You need to get it right. You need to make that right. You know when you're free because you see that person sweet. You see, the, see them with love. How do we walk in a place where we are quick to forgive? Ephesians 4. I read it at the beginning. It talks about unity. But our first response if we are in a place where you may be tempted to be offended, but our first response always has to be mercy. You're not perfect yourself. I'm not perfect. So our first response is, is to be mercy. You've got to make allowance for people's faults. Verse 2, it says, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long suffering. It says, bearing with one another in love. So, putting up with one another, make allowance for people's, you know, issues and their faults. They're not perfect, you're not perfect. It says, endeavor, in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, the, the, the endeavoring, make every effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's why it's so important that we show mercy. First response when you're about to be offended is mercy. No, Lord, I'm going to love them. Paul speaks here about love. He speaks about bearing with one another in love, knowing that, you know, you're not perfect, they're not perfect. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, that bond of peace... It's like a glue. It bonds us. Why is that important? Why is that important to know? Because in, in Romans 12, 18, it says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So if there's something that you know you have between someone, there's two parties involved and there's animosity, there's division, as far as it is possible, you are to go to that person and reconcile. You, you, as far as it is possible, you are to make peace with that person. Now, if they say, I don't want anything to do with you or, you know, go away, you've done all you can do. You've done your part as far as possible. You've gone to that person to try and reconcile and make peace. So, you, are, you can walk before God with a clear conscience. That person, the other person, however, that's, that's not on you because you've done what Paul commands in Romans 12, 18, as far as it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, in, in Philippians, this is, something, this is something that Paul actually prays for those in Philippi, the Christians. He says in chapter 1 of Philippians, he says in verse 9, This I pray that your love may abound. See, see love is going to guard us as well. Walking in peace, showing mercy... These things are going to keep us in love. These are the things that are going to keep us unified. But also, 
this love, that the love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent. So it's not a blind love. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offence till the day of Christ. Do you think if Paul prayed that for the Christians, that we ought to also take heed to what he's saying? That your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offence till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise to God. So, our love, we, we ought to pray, Lord, give me more love for people. Lord, remove anything that hinders my love for another. Because love is the greatest. Remaining in love is going to be a guard for us. We want to pray that it abounds like Paul. He said, I pray that your love abounds more and more. So we grow. See, that love is a fruit of the Spirit. That You ask for more love, God will give you more love. You start giving more. That love will be produced in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That was the day of Pentecost, the outpouring. There's an empowerment there to do what man can't do. It's only the Holy Spirit can do it in us. That's what the whole point of Pentecost was. It was for empowerment to do, to make us holy, to be all that Christ wants us to be. And he says, be without offense. And I've already spoken about that. Be, a, be without offense to the day of Christ. So these, there's going to be things that come up from this day until the Lord returns, where if we're not walking in love, where we're not pursuing mercy when we where we don't have that ongoing commitment to forgive where we will be offended and i shared with you where you stand before god with unforgiveness so just take a moment just to think about your heart ask the holy spirit this is serious show me show me where i have unforgiveness where i've offense towards someone because this is so vital for us today. I want to just take a moment. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, but I just want to take a moment because this message, we want to know the power of God, but it's through that power that we can remain unified. But we've got to Allow the work of the Spirit. We've got to remain in love. It's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I lift up every heart. And right now, Lord, as we wait on you, I'm just asking right now, Holy Spirit, you would show us. Show us where we have carried that offense, where we are holding unforgiveness towards someone. It might be someone that's even already passed away, but we are still holding that. Maybe we've moved into that place of resentment, bitterness, even hatred. Lord, it's only 
by your spirit that you can reveal that to us. And it's only by your spirit that you give us the grace to let it go. I'm asking the Holy Spirit right now that you would move over our hearts, that you would show us, Lord, all those things that people are suffering with. They may be treated, be treated unfairly and unjustly, but Lord, before you, we are forgiven. So we all also must forgive. We're going, to, um, we're going to begin to praise, but it's really important if, if you have something, if God's shown you something, if the Holy Spirit's revealed something in your heart, you are holding someone in jail, figuratively. You've got an offense and unforgiveness towards them. If, if you're holding that, I'm going to invite you to just to come down the altar as we praise, as we worship, and let the power of the Holy Spirit work to release them, to actually confess that as sin before God. Just get before God. Just, just, it's just you and God. No one needs to pray with you to release that person or those persons, even if they've passed away. It's your wife, husband, someone at work, someone in the church. God and you just come before God and you just confess it as sin ask for God's mercy ask for his forgiveness and release them as I said before Grace shared a testimony she held that what she was with, suffering with bitterness but God came and it was released that's the power of God that's the power of the Holy Spirit. So if that is you, come forward and just have a time and let God do a work in you. Let Him renew your heart. Let Him break down those walls because we so need the Holy Spirit in this place. And it's not only for Him, but it's for us because we are one, that we remain unified, that we remain completely in unity. So Lord, as Lord, those that you, Lord, have put your finger on, I'm asking, Lord, that, Lord, it's by your Spirit that you can move and it's by your Spirit, Lord, that you can uproot all bitterness, all offense, unforgiveness, all the wrongdoings, Lord. Holy Spirit, I'm asking right now that you would do something. You would move in your power. You would move in your love. Lord, give us as we go that, that ongoing commitment to forgiveness. Let mercy be our first response, Lord, and may we walk continually in that love, Lord. It's all by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.